Hello and welcome to another episode of Teeing Off on this Wednesday. And as much as I had the best week at the Canadian Open, now that it's over, we're into probably the best stretch of the season. WGC this week, then the PGA, then the playoffs, and then the President's Cup. But first... In what was a birdie fest from start to finish, Johnny Vegas successfully defended his Canadian Open title, defeating Charlie Hoffman in a playoff to become the first ever back-to-back champion at Glen Abbey. It was Hoffman holding a lead heading into the final round, but there were a number of players in the mix. Dustin Johnson, Ian Poulter, Johnny Vegas, Gary Woodland, Tony Finau, Kevin Chappell, lots of pretty accomplished players. Ian Poulter was the first to post a number in the clubhouse, firing a final round 64 to get in at 20 under. Vegas would be next, making par on the par 5 18th to post 21 under, and not only knock out Poulter, but ruin anyone else on the course's chance of catching him, except for Charlie Hoffman. At that point, Hoffman was still in the driver's seat, looking at a very makeable putt, birdie putt on 17 to get into a tie with Vegas, That putt would burn the edge and Hoffman settled for par, but the prospect of Eagle on 18 to win was still a distinct possibility with the hole playing firm and downwind, making it easily reachable with a good drive, which Charlie did. He got on in two and left himself 25, 30 feet-ish for the win. And just missed that one too. So Vegas and Hoffman headed back to the 18th for a playoff where both players drove the ball into fairway bunkers, all but eliminating an Eagle. An eagle wouldn't be needed, though. Vegas went for it on his second out of the bunker, and his ball rolled just over the green into the collar. Hoffman, on the other hand, laid up, hoping to stick his third shot close. Instead, though, he went long and into the back bunker. Vegas would get up and down for birdie, and Charlie Hoffman needed to hole out to extend the playoff. We have a champion. For a second straight year, it's Jonathan Vegas at the RBC Canadian Open. Johnny Vegas goes back-to-back and gets his third PGA Tour win. Personally, it was a great week. I'd covered PGA Tour events before, but this was the first time I really, really covered one. Inside the ropes access, taking part in scrums and pressers, getting interviews, and just generally being a part of everything in the media center. It was a really cool experience, something I definitely hope to do again soon. My main takeaways... Besides just seeing how amazing following someone like Dustin Johnson is, when you can go inside the ropes and see every shot up close, his preparation of every shot, talking to his caddy, really, really cool. But aside from that, my main takeaway would be the differences of the public perception some tour guys have versus the reality of what they're like in person. I'm not going to name name any names on the negative side of things, but, I mean, it went both ways. There were guys that I thought were nice, outgoing guys that kind of turned out to be dicks. But on the other hand, I was pleasantly surprised by quite a few players, too. Dustin Johnson, for example. He doesn't exactly have the best reputation, but aside from sort of having a bit of a dead eyes look to him, he was actually really nice and really kind. And seeing him interact so much with his playing partners, he was playing with Ches Reeve on Saturday and Martin Flores on Sunday, guys that are clearly not on his level, but he was talking and laughing with them the whole rounds. It was pretty humanizing, to be honest. 
And it was stuff like that that really piqued my interest the most throughout the tournament. One of the guys that was nice enough to speak to me right after finishing his final round was Patrick Cantley. Here's the audio from that. First off, thanks for doing this right after your round. So, where did you stay this week? Did you stay in Toronto? Did you stay in Oakville? Stayed here. Yeah, how did you like? Is this your first time playing here in Oakville? Uh, yeah, first time here in Glen Abbey. It was good. It was good. Um, so did you did you venture out at night? Did you do anything around Just the city? Just went to dinner, low key. Nothing yeah, that's special. Bad. Okay. So in terms of your year, you've obviously been playing good. You haven't missed a cut or anything. Uh, how do you how do you feel? You come second, you come third. Do you feel like you're almost right there for a win? Yeah, I've been playing well this year. Um, game is coming around. I had to take a little break, but uh, it's feeling sharper and looking forward to playing well at the PGA. Okay. So what's it like seeing a guy that you are older than, like in Jordan? You like I see you as one of the next best players, but uh, what's it like seeing him winning all these majors and stuff? You know that you're right there. You know he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, he's been playing well the last you know two three years since he turned pro. He's been playing well junior golf and college golf, so it doesn't surprise me. Uh, those guys are good. Um, the young generation, the guys I grew up playing junior golf with, they've always been good and they've always played really well. Uh, doesn't really surprise me. Okay. Uh, when? How long do you think until you're going to be right in that? echelon contending regularly in majors? Well, I just started playing, you know, uh, golf after a three-year break in February. So I'm on a good trajectory right now and just going to try and keep that pace and try and have the results take care of themselves. Okay. Since coming back, what's been your favorite events on tour? Um, I liked Hilton Head. I, I like uh, Pebble Beach. Uh, I like those two golf courses, California and Pebble Beach, and I like how specific you have to be at, at Hilton Head. Any cities in particular that you really enjoy that you haven't really, you wouldn't have otherwise seen? Uh, I love Monterey. Monterey's uh, beautiful. You know, uh, it's one of my favorite places on earth. Okay. And if you could win any tournament, I assume it's be a major. But which one would you? Which one would be a top of your list? Masters. Masters. Definitely. Have you been around Augusta? I've played the tournament once. Yeah. Okay. So what did you do? I finished forty something. Okay. Were you low amateur? Were you low amateur? I was. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I watched you there. You absolutely killed the ball off the tee. Is that the is that the biggest strength of your game? Um, I don't know. I tend to drive it pretty straight, and uh, I roll it. I roll it well. Um, but I, I think the strength is not making many mistakes and just uh, playing smart. Okay. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, is there anything that maybe you feel like you could improve on a little bit? Yeah, just scoring. Um, it's uh, you know I haven't played many tournaments. Uh, and so getting back into that scoring mode in the tournament golf is uh, something I'm working on. And in terms of the rest of your season, are you playing Bridgestone next week? I'm not. I'm playing the PJ Championship and then the playoffs start. Okay, so what's your what's your ultimate goal from now to the end of the season? Make the FedEx Cup final, contend the PGA? Um, trying to peak for the PGA Championship and, and give myself a chance to win. Okay. I noticed you and your patty have a like, really good talking relationship out there. You sometimes we'll just ask like, is this, is this good if I just hit this pure like on the, the bunker on 18 there? Uh, maybe explain a little bit about that relationship, how you guys met, sort of that sort of thing. Yeah, we just started working together in February and he's been really good. Um, I really like spending time with him on and off the golf course and uh, we work together well. So uh, hoping to keep working together and, and try and contend more. Aside from golf, are there any other sports that you really like? I grew up playing baseball and basketball. But uh, I don't do too much of that you know, anymore. Do you follow like, any of your teams? I'll follow the Lakers, but they're terrible. And the Angels, they're not too good either. So are you a big LeVar Ball fan? 
Onzo Ball, all those guys? Uh, we'll see. We'll see how yeah. he does. Okay, and just one more. Anything else off the course that you like to you like to do? Fishing or anything? Don't don't do much fishing in Southern California, but uh, I read uh, a lot, watch movies, you know, low-key stuff. Okay, awesome. Thanks a lot. Appreciate yeah, your time. Thank you. Good luck uh, in the PGA. Thanks. And now, back to reality. Earlier this week, it was announced that Rory McIlroy has parted ways with his longtime caddy, J.P. Fitzgerald. The timing of it, that's what strikes people as a little bit odd. Rory, of course, he's been marred in an almost summer-long slump, and he was heading towards another missed cut a couple weeks ago at the British Open before J.P. pulled him aside and said, You're Rory F. and McIlroy. Let's go. From there, Rory turned it around and ended up tied for fourth, which ties for his best finish in a major since winning the PGA in 2014. So a lot of people were saying, you're going to get rid of this guy? He just pulled you out of your slump. On the other hand, though, the two had been together for nine years and all of Rory's majors, but they haven't had much recent success. And there's only so much a player can change. Rory's changed his equipment. Uh, there's only so much a player can change. So maybe it was just time for a change of scenery or he just wanted a new voice on his team. There's some heat being thrown on both sides of the story from both sides of the aisle, but I'm just going to choose not to read too much into it. Rory is in the field this week at the Bridgestone and will reportedly have his best friend Harry Diamond on the bag. It remains to be seen how long that partnership will last, but I can't see it being much longer than one or two weeks, especially with the PGA coming up next week. Now, as it does, speculation has already begun as to who will be his permanent replacement, Phil's former caddy Bones topping that list, although to me he seems content with his job with the Golf Channel, and on top of that has had a lot of physical physical issues in the past couple of years. But other names in the rumor mill are two of Tiger's former caddies, Joe LaCava, and Adam Scott's current looper, Stevie Williams. Rory is expected to address this next Wednesday at his pre-PGA press availability. Harold Varner penned an interesting article for the Players' Tribune this week. There were two main points made, one about being one of the only black players on tour, something I'm not going to touch on much because I can't really relate. Although, when he pointed out that everyone just considers him, quote, the black guy or the less good Tiger Woods, that was really sad. Uh, My main takeaway, though, and something he explained very, very well, is that golf just needs to be affordable, especially for young people to get into the game and for the next generation of golfers to thrive and for there to be a good next generation of golfers that's not just, quite frankly, rich white kids, golf needs to be affordable. Harold described his experience growing up playing on a $100 a summer golf membership and that without that, he never could have afforded getting into golf or going anywhere with it. Now, Personally, I have a sort of a similar experience in the world of golf growing up. I from the time of like eight or nine, I got a job picking balls on a golf range that got me a free membership at the course. So I would play every day. As I got older, I moved up to parking the carts and kind of working around the shop and stuff. All of this just to get free golf. And then once I got too old for that, just basically couldn't afford to golf anymore. I, I had scholarship offers and stuff, but even those just couldn't afford it. Golf just became too expensive. And I mean, not that I would have been on the PJ Tour or anything right now, but it's sort of being priced out of something that you love. It's really an unfortunate thing, and it kind of leaves you a little bit bitter. I was a little bit bitter towards golf for a few years. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. So it's good for Harold for 
writing about this. Um, if you haven't read the piece, it'll only take you about five minutes. I really recommend it. He makes a really good point, not only about the race side of golf, but yeah, also about the, and I guess this ties into race, but how it's sort of priced out for a lot of people that aren't born into wealth, essentially. And that, that needs to change. Now on a much different note, Steph Curry will tee it up on the web.com tour this week. Not in the Pro-Am, actually in the tournament. Now I've gone back and forth a little bit on this one. At first I was kind of pissed that Steph would do this. He's taking away a potential spot of a qualified golfer. He's clearly not taking it that seriously if you've seen any social media with him over the past week. And it just sort of makes golf look a little rinky-dink. On the other hand, though, the closer we get to it, the more excited I am to watch. And when would I ever say that about a web.com event? And not only that, but Steph blowing up and shooting a terrible score, that will highlight the chasm there is between a scratch golfer and a professional golfer. My prediction... I'm going to stick to my original thoughts on this and guess he has at least one hole in double digits. He will come dead last in the field and he won't even sniff the cut line. Like, not even close. Frankly, I don't think he will break 80. But I'm definitely going to watch. A sad story from the media side of the golf world emerged yesterday. Everyone's favorite golf analyst, David Faraday, lost his son this week after an overdose on his 29th birthday. I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's just so sad. All I want to point out is the struggles David himself has gone through with addiction in his life and the extra layer of pain that must be putting on him. As someone that suffers with depression and anxiety, I can only imagine the dark place that David is in right now. But it has been incredible to see the support the golf and media world alike have bestowed upon David. I don't know I don't know if his son was fighting with addiction or if this was just a 29th birthday party gone wrong. But either way, I just quickly want to say anyone that is fighting with something, drugs, alcohol, depression, anything, please talk to someone. Even if it's just your dog or your cat at first, just verbalizing the the toxic thoughts in your brain, it can sometimes be extremely freeing and put things in a different perspective. Again, I don't know that David's son had any sort of issues. I don't want to put that on him or his family. I just hate to see anyone suffer and knowing that all that David has gone through and now having to go through this, it just it breaks my heart. David brings laughter and happiness into our lives and all around a sport that many consider pretentious and stuck up. So just keep a thought for David tonight. He's going through every parent's worst nightmare. It seems trivial and there's no good segue, so I'm just going to jump right back in. There are two PGA Tour events this week, the Barracuda Championship and the WGC Bridgestone Championship. The reason for this is the WGC is a limited field event with only 76 players, so having two gives those fighting for their tour cards a a chance to stay in action. Quickly, those taking part in the Barracuda will be playing the modified Stableford format, essentially a point system that rewards birdie and eagles with points and takes away points for bogeys and worse. I believe it's something like Two points for a birdie, five points for an eagle, eight points for a double eagle, and then minus one for a bogey, minus three for a double or worse. Something like that. So it definitely definitely rewards aggressive play. Topping the list of names in the field are Smiley Kaufman, Curtis Luck, Ryan Palmer, Ollie Schneiderhand, and Kevin Tway. The big tourney this week, though, the WGC Bridgestone Invitational at Firestone which is better known for Tiger Woods just absolutely destroying it, 
winning 8 of 15 times he teed up there. That's better than a 50% clip. Yeah. Of course, no Tiger this week, though. DJ, Rory, Spieth, J-Day, Ricky, Kepka, John Rahm, basically every top-ranked player in the field, 55 of the top 56 in the world golf rankings. Dustin Johnson has won here the last two years, and Jordan Spieth has won his last two starts, so clearly they're the favorites, and something's got to give, but with such a stacked field and a tough course to boot, it's really anyone's tournament. Firestone in Akron, Ohio, measures in at 7,400 yards and plays to a par of 70, so just two par fives. It is historically ranked as having the hardest greens to hit in regulation on tour. This is due to the size of the greens, the length of the course, and the usual firmness of the course, so keep an eye out for a lot of scrambling. It's also typically a bomber's course, but with the greens the way they are, there's definitely a need for touch and small ball is needed as well. With it being a small field, just 76 guys, there will be no cut, so keep that in mind. If I were to pick a player I like to win, aside from the obvious in Dustin or Jordan, I lean towards either Ricky Fowler or Hideki Matsuyama. Both are in really good form and have the type of game suited for this course, and on top of that, Ricky has three straight top 10s here. Really though, I'm just hoping for a little tougher test of golf after last week's birdie fest, and that one guy doesn't simply run away with things. Our next week is a PGA Championship, and the former PGA of America president, Ted Bishop, had the hottest of hot takes in addressing it recently. Bishop, who some may remember, was fired after referring to Ian Poulter as a little girl on social media, is now not only making a pledge for Valhalla to host the PGA annually, becoming a staple for the event, but he also went as far as to say Valhalla is a more dramatic and challenging track than Augusta National. Okay, Valhalla, to his point, it's actually a really exciting, fun course and has produced some good moments of the year over the years. And Bishop resides in Indiana, close to the course. But come on. Not only is Valhalla not even scheduled to host another major until 2023, but you're talking about Augusta National. The Masters is literally known for having good finishes. The term, the Masters doesn't start until the back nine on Sunday, that's there for a reason. Anyways, next week's PGA is in North Carolina at Quail Hollow, a place Rory McIlroy has devoured in the past. And I'll dig into that full steam ahead next week. And that's where I'm going to end things today. Thank you for listening. I'm RJ McCullough, and I will talk to you next Wednesday.